presenter tonight is uh, Professor John Powell. He's the director of the University of Stellenbosch Business School. Um, he has held a number of senior systems engineering appointments in the Fed, including chief systems engineer of nuclear submarine design, as well as of the European wide intelligence system. John holds an engineering degree from Cambridge, PhD from Cranfield University. He's a chartered engineer, a fellow of the Institution for Engineering Technology, chartered mathematician, fellow of the Institute for Applied Mathematics. He's also received the Magister Bruns Gold Medal for Academic Excellence and the President's Medal for Public Operations Research Society. Please give a hearty welcome to John. Firstly, thank you very much for inviting me to talk to you. It's a, it's a great honour. I've been a system engineer all my life, but part of the time before I even knew I was. It's a state of mind, isn't it? It's a state of mind. It's thinking about things in, in a holistic way. And it's also thinking about things in a different way. Um, that, that, I mean, what, what aspect of system engineering are you involved in? Okay, system integration. So you're talking about you know making sure that components of those system work together. That's one part of system engineering. Another aspect is is how do those components work together? What perspective do you take upon them? And I'm going to talk to you about a particular set of perspectives that that Jali, my my co-researcher and partner at the back there, have developed primarily for knowledge management use. But knowledge management, if you think about it, is just another viewpoint, another interpretation of, of, of a viewpoint upon a system. Uh, you, you, you might take electromagnetic uh, uh, compatibility as a viewpoint on a system. Uh, you might take information flow on a system. You might take ergonomics. The, the, the knowledge perspective is particularly important. Uh, uh, and uh, I'm going to go through some examples and show you a methodology which will be not, it won't be not the methodologies that you're used to, but, but be flexible and you'll find that it's, it's very useful. I've said the, the inconvenient tripod, and for those of you who have seen, that is in fact a tripod. Right? Uh, and uh, the systems, the human beings who form part of the system and the knowledge that they use are inextricably bound together. I want to discuss very briefly so we know we're on the same page, the conventional approaches to system design, particularly the requirement end, that's primarily where I'm, I'm talking about. I mean, in a sense, I'm trying to avoid, by getting the requirement stage of phases right, the, 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 avoiding giving you and people who work at your end of the system implementation uh, problems. Uh, then I'm going to talk about this important category of, of hybrid systems which you will see are systems where the human beings and the system itself are inextricably bound together. A good example would be a railway signaling system or, or an aircraft cockpit. And I'm going to show you examples of those for a while in practice. I'm going to talk briefly about the types of knowledge in, the, in systems and then the all important part is how on earth do we go about as system engineers establishing a requirement that, that integrates those three often uh, uh, differently motivated components. So, what do we mean by uh, a system? A system, of course, we mean uh, a set of interacting components. We, we, we see here the, you know, the human nervous system, the cow moving out there, and so it's, it's just a different spec, okay? Uh, the implementation is pretty much the same. Uh, and then, then you've got this thing here, which uh, you can see is in fact a system engineer's motor car, because the components are all falling apart. But obviously we're talking about uh, sets of things that work together, obviously. How do we go about that conventionally? Well, we have a waterfall chart. Oh, you, you, know, you start, and then this is what I, I grabbed from, from the web. It looks absolutely barking mad to me as a system engineer. It seems, you know, worryingly linear. Right? You start up here with a, what they call an initial investigation. I remember, I remember hearing a play, famous playwright once. Uh, sorry, a musical um, 
that musical drama uh, writer that the journalist said, which comes first, the music or the words? And he said, the telephone call with the check. <laughs> now, the initial investigation, what they call systems analysis, I mean, how cool is that? Trying to do systems analysis in anything that's, that, that, that's, that's more complex than, than, than your shoes, and, and, and you suddenly realise that it's iterative, uh, and, and it goes through eventually to having to make the thing work. Now, when in practice, as you all know, what, what happens is that you have a, a a choice. I mean, I, I was, when I was appointed chief system engineer of this nuclear submarine that was now the esteemed class, uh, I came from an aircraft background and I was used to people coming to us and saying, look, the Indians want uh, a light combat, combat aircraft which will take on a MiG-31, a thousand kilometres from the nearest base, with short-range missiles, and have a wind probability in turning combat of no less than 0.75. So now, we know, now we know what we're designing. So I go into the naval systems where I'm expecting uh, the, my opposite number in the Ministry of Defence to say, um, right, now what we want you to do, because they all speak like that, <laughs> what they do, what we'd like you chaps to do is to come up with a, a nuclear submarine which will cost less than £400 million which will be able to take on an Akula-class Soviet submarine under the thermocline at a range of 40,000 yards with these sets of weapons. Now, doesn't that make sense to you? Well, I walk into this guy's office and he says, oh, I'm very pleased to see you. He said, what term? Because, by the way, this, this is an example of output specification, the output of the system. So I walk into this guy's office, so from the end of the world, and he says, I'm very pleased to see you. We're delighted to have aircraft and system, system engineering imported into the naval business. He said, uh, but I mean, you need to know that we've done quite a lot of the, uh, the design for the submarine already. Now, I didn't recognize that sentence. How can you do quite a lot of the design for a nuclear submarine? But it all fits together. Because right? if it doesn't fit together, everybody gets a jacuzzi. So, how on earth can you? Can you have done quite a lot of the design? He opens this camera, massive camera, and he said, with pride, he said, And there's all these files, so I said, fantastic. And I'm thinking, why is he using it? So I said to him, uh, what's in the files, Sir Jacob? And with pride, he pulls it down and he says, here is an example. This is the complete chilled water budget for the submarine. Just think about that. He doesn't even know what the opposition submarine is, and he's telling me how much chilled water I have for this computer or that computer. It's barking now. It's a bottom-up design where it is not necessary to have a bottom-up design. So that's that. The reality, as you all know, is that, yes, of course, it makes sense to have a chilled water budget or a, a size, overall size for something or that it has to have a weapon carrying capacity. So there's, there's this interaction, isn't there, between the output, overall specification, and, and, the, and, and the, the constraints of specified components. Uh, now, here you have you know, a typical, absolutely impenetrable system engineer's diagram, which Johnny is looking at saying they've got nice, nice colours. But I, mean, <laughs> I, I, I want you to understand that everybody else in the room also just sees the nice colour. <laughs> and it's, and it's, a, it, it's a lot of stuff, and if you look at it, just look at this as a piece of grammar. It's all about the technology. It, it's all about some you know, stuff called cellular radio systems and uh, fire optic rings and, uh, and, and you know, does anybody recognise the vocabulary? Yeah, I'm good, okay. Because I'm glad it makes sense to you, because it doesn't to me. <laughs> because you have to decide whether you're going to focus on what we call the infrasystem. That, by the way, was the architecture for a, a railway signaling system. Either on the infrasystem or the complete system. What do I mean by the complete system? A railway system has people in it. And it's a hybrid system because the people 
making the system work or not. They, they make decisions. And we'll see in a minute that they use this uh, magical quantity called, called knowledge, and sometimes they use that knowledge in a way that they don't understand, which is which for a system engineer is a bit of a problem. Because we like to know what our components do. So now, think about this, now you've got a component in your system, and the component doesn't even know how it thinks. But it will make your trains crash. Big time. <laughs> Hybrid systems, either the human is a peripheral, you know, they, they're, they're just, uh, yeah, the, 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 the laptop computer, I, I'm, I'm, just, I'm, just a, I'm just a user of it, I, I'm, not, I'm not in it, I'm not part of it. Uh, if you use a breakfast analogy, um, I, I, I'm a, a contributor, like the hen, I'm not a participant like the pig. But there are some... <laughs> but, uh, I can see you're all hungry. <laughs> but there's also a type of system, isn't there, where the human being is a component of the system, a sentient decision-making, uh, perhaps risk-adding, value-adding component. And that's what traditionally in, in system theory at large, from system engineering, uh, we refer to as, as a hybrid system. I'm sure that everyone uses this one. Yes, one. Well. <laughs> engineering pornography. <laughs> <laughs> that, 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 interestingly, that is, look, this is really going to surprise you, that is the most complex artifact built by man. It's more complex in terms of its number of components than a, than a space rocket, the last one. And that's a space rocket. It exists in That There's you know, some massive number. It's like you know, 30 million separate components which to some extent have to work together. And, but it's just a thing. I mean, it's just a system. You can design it. You know. Well, there it is. You know, we sent it out into into the water, we built it, we designed it, we built it, responded to the specification. Thought it would nuclear stuff. We sent it out. We didn't think much about the humans. They were operators. There's one of the humans who was shot in the submarine by one of his shipmates. That's the extent to which human beings are part of science. So that's a dramatic example. That's the submarine aground on a shoal on, a, on rocks uh, just off the, the island of Stone. My, my, my thesis is that you simply cannot treat a complex artifact like a nuclear submarine as being merely an engineering artifact. It is an engineering artifact, <coughs> of course, but, but inherent in it, in, uh, intertwined in its physicality, is the sentience of, of the human beings of the, of the body. And you've got to ask yourself, how are you going to cope with that in terms of system engineering? What we traditionally do, frankly, is we ignore it. We partition it. We say, Here's the aircraft cockpit, and we'll bring uh, a nice Royal Air Force officer in, and we'll watch how he uses it, and then we'll make a, a bit of a change to the ergonomics. Not good enough. Not good enough by half. Because people crash that way. And it's our responsibility, system engineers, to make sure they don't, they don't die unknowingly and unwillingly. Think about this. Is this. This, is a, this is a nice sailing boat. <coughs> much smarter than the nuclear submarine. Just think about the sorts of knowledge that you that you use to be a sailor. Well, uh, what sort of knowledge would you, would you use? What sort of knowledge would you claim as, as part of your competence as a sailor? What do you expect? Rope work, 
times we need basic skills in terms of managing the sales and things. Absolutely, yeah. The, the mechanics of saving the product, which is pretty straightforward, and you can write it down as a nice drill. You could you could probably write it on as a Photoshop, yeah. And <laughs> anyone else think of other other stuff that you need to know? Yo, you can write it even all the time. That's a phrase that, that sailors use in reading the water and racing sailors will actually, that they will look at the gross structure of the waves, they will look at the medium uh, the, the waves, and they also look at the, at the micro patterns in it. And, and often they're, they're quite, they're quite um, self-observant about this. They, they, they are aware of what it is they are sensing. For example, you say to us, we say, why did you look at the micro waves? These are quite few. And they say, well, because that's telling you what the wind is doing right now, whereas the, the bigger waves are what it did a few minutes ago, etc. Okay, what one of the things would you need to know to be a good singer? That's a nice juxtaposition, isn't it? Because you've got navigation, which is really quite well defined. It, it, it's, it's explicit knowledge. It's knowledge that you can codify. You can say, this is how you lay a course on a chart. This is how you avoid dangers in your planning. This is how the times work on the And then the second thing that you said was how to manage the team. I defy you to write that down. <laughs> and that's called classic knowledge, experiential knowledge, and, and both of those are important in the um, uh, in, in the management of anything. So you think about this book now as a system. It's got its physicality. It's got its environment. It, it's got uh, laws of physics that, that surround it. It's also got a bunch of people who hopefully can do more this work. And, and getting that, that big complex hybrid system to work together is a, is a matter of using some data, some information, a bit of knowledge, you need a bit of, of wisdom, and, and also using both tacit and inexpressible knowledge and explicit knowledge. Tacit knowledge in system engineering is a nightmare. How, how do you design a combat aircraft in order to be effective in combat when Effectiveness in combat is unpredictable because the very unpredictability of the skilled combat pilot is what makes his uh, or increasingly her uh, tactical actions unpredictable and effective. Here's a nice distinction excellent knowledge, knowledge about the system, knowledge that the railway signaler uses about the topology of the of, of the system itself, as opposed to ender knowledge, which is knowledge that is used in the system. For example, in the, in the railway systems, that's signaling system example, uh, knowledge of when you should go into a, a very risk-averse posture with your signal. In the United Kingdom, for example, there's a lot of fogs. Mist has come in, and, and you talk to railway signaling uh, operators, as and they will tell you that their, their risk posture changes. But they can't tell you exactly what it does. So that's knowledge that is used within the system itself. So that's a, a measure of the difficulty that we have in, uh, in designing for hybridity, in designing for a, a, a hybrid system. But you've got to do it in a concurrent way. Uh, the example I think I've got is an aircraft company. I mean, you simply can't do what we used to do even 15 years ago, which is which is to to design a, a cockpit uh, from the, the front back and say, what instruments do we need? Where have we got some real estate to put it? Oh, good, that's nice. Now let's put a couple of pilots in there and see what happens. Because, you know, the, the, the wastage of money and, and the, the rework that is involved in that is, is, is substantial. So it has to be a kind of Concurrency. I know concurrent design is, is, is used in a different context, of, you know, and um, uh, light through the cost, etc. But I'm talking here about involving the the sentience, the decision making, the knowledge usage 
of the participant, human participant in the system from the beginning of the design. You may not have to do it. Somebody's, who's the chap I told you who does um, smart meters? Who's up to about smart meters? Yeah, I mean, you, you, you may not have to do this because your, 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 your system design problem may be dominated by the infrasystem. But in general terms, if there's a human being involved using knowledge, one should try to use it right from the There are lots of approaches to this. This is a very well known one you may have come across. Uh, Chaplin's subsystem methodology. It's, it's nice. I mean, it, it, he's, he's done a lot of good. Uh, it, it's characterized by the fact that it has a clear separation between what is going on in this, this diagram calls it the real world, you call it the life world, I think, and then system representation of the real world. That's a, that's a big trap for us because we, we write our models, we write our prototypes and simulators, and we kid ourselves that we're, we're close to the real world, whereas we, we may not in fact be. The problem with this is that in terms of understanding knowledge use within, within the hybrid system, it's insufficiently distinct about how, how the knowledge is used. It's a great way to understand um, the, the, the generalities of the requirement, but not the particularities. Now, the work that, that, that we do is, uh, is based upon a very well-known and massively uh, uh, used method called system dynamics, or systems dynamics. System dynamics is a journal about it. And it's, it's what you'd expect. You, 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 write, you write diagrams like this with causal arrows. This is about um, yeah, research effectiveness in the firm. It doesn't matter. It tries to identify um, reinforcing cycles. You might, might think of them as, as resonances, where um, you know, if you can get that managerial cycle going, then I can see lots of you nodding. So you know, you're familiar with, with, with the kind of, um, kind of approach. Uh, our uh, development is, uh, is a particular viewpoint of that system based knowledge management, and again it uses these, these ideas of, uh, of effectiveness moves, I suppose, but the viewpoint that we take is now to say what knowledge is used by whom within, within this, this managerial cycle. I'm going to give you some examples. So system dynamics is looking at chains of cause and effect, looking for resonance cycles, and we take the particular, particular viewpoint of, um, of who is using what knowledge when they fulfill that role. Okay, um, I'm going to go to some examples now. I'm, I'm happy to take a couple of questions if you, if you have anything that's burning or anything wrong. I want to introduce you to a fascinating area which you probably haven't thought about much, is submarine long-range combat. It's uh, often been described as like like jousting, you know, where they, they're on the, the horses with their lances. But here's the kind of thing. The slower you go, the longer you lance. Because the slower you go, the farther you can see. And the farther you can see, the further you can make sense of the world around you. And the further you can get a firing solution to detach a, uh, a torpedo to take the other submarine out. It's pretty brutal, because if you get it wrong, everybody dies. So it's a serious business. This is what it looks like in the submarine. It's, uh, it's not as bad an environment as you, as you think, but you can see there's a lot of data and information being put up here. There's a lot of human operators, and we'll talk in a minute about the kinds of errors they can make. And there's somebody here, who's probably a chief bay officer, who's, who's um, in, 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 the, in the most human sense, is using the mentality of these operators within the data environment. And they're trying to make sense of the environment around them where they can only hear, probably not making any noise. It's, it's a very, uh, in common terms, it's a very extensive business to make a noise because it tells somebody, A, that you are there. Uh, probably it tells them more or less where you are. What you more important about is it tells them what you do. So there are certain distinctive noises called discrete, discrete noises. 
which are of very high value in this environment. For example, a particular valve will, will shut, making distinctive noise, and you know that the other party has got a firing solution and it's about to release weapon against them. Here's an example of a, a system engineering, uh, a, a system dynamics diagram, uh, which more or less describes what I've just said, but in more precise terms. Our detection range, the range at which we can detect the other party, determines our firing range. That increases our kill probability. The engagement survival probability, our survival probability of surviving, surviving this phase of engagement, is of course reduced. The red dotted arrows are, are, are anti-positive by the kill probability of the opposition. And similarly, their detection range determines their, their firing range, etc. There's a few other things going in. Your detection range is determined by uh, your velocity through the water. The faster you move through the water, two things rise. Your hull noise, the, the noise that you make as you brush past the water, and your plant noise, the, the noise of the engine, if you like, the nuclear plant, as it, as it works harder, and they're tangible. And both, as, as they go up, your detection range goes down. That may not be obvious to you, but sonars are uh, in looking, they're in a signal-to-noise environment. So as the noise goes up, the ratio of the signal goes down, and therefore the detection range, or the probability of detecting a pattern, uh, is not being drawn. Uh, and I've done the same thing for the opposition velocity there. Pretty easy to understand. Here's another thing though. As the plant noise goes up, the number of disputes goes up. Because uh, as the plant is worked, then you have to do stuff to the plant. And therefore the likelihood of an operator making a mess of it, operating a valve in a clumsy way, or, or, or in, in, at, a, at a critical time, is likely to go up as well. And here's, uh, um, here's uh, uh, the, the, the final diagram just for this illustration process. Uh, what have we got here? As the opposition's velocity through the water goes up, uh, the, 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 the speed of solution of our sonar rises, so our firing range goes up, which is a good thing for us. Noisy target, Although they're a long way away, we can get a we can get a firing solution quickly, so we can pop one off at 100,000 yards rather than 80,000 yards. Now, Hugin, this this is what makes it a hybrid system. The engagement survival probability is measured by the commanding officer. So the commanding officer has a meter in his hand, which says how dangerous is this for us. And if you've ever seen these programs on BBC Knowledge, where they go through what they call the parachute course, you can see how this tacit knowledge is built up. It is absolutely indefinable. You, 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 you watch these people in the, in the control room of submarine, and they know when it's just got shit. <laughs> they know, but, but you can't train them. Now what happens is that as your survival, as your survival probability alters, your velocity through the water waters. Because if you're in danger, you need to move. So you need to, you need to move through the water. So you need to make a noise. So you put up the opposition's uh, probability, probability of getting a solution. Interesting. And you try taking out the, the commanding officer's intuition, testimony, and all you've got is a big black sausage. Now, how do, you, how do you cope with that in, in the design phase? Because you are at the same time building a long cylinder to go down to a thousand meters of depth, which is a pretty straightforward problem. It doesn't require uh, a great deal of innovation, but it's, it's sort of difficult to do. But look, hidden within that diagram is this. It says, as the uh, uh, as our engagement survival probability alters, our velocity through the water goes up, the plant noise goes up because we're having to work the reactor, so we get a number of discretes. The range of the opposition increases, the firing range, his firing range alters, and it closes off. But you can also have <coughs> to the noise that is there. That's a flat power at the time. That's the kind of thing that 
makes these inconvenient noises. So what sort of knowledge is being used there? Well, firstly, how is the plant operated? Operating a simple uh, pressurized water reactor, I'll give you something, is, is not, is not, doesn't require another Nobel Prize, but it is, you know, it, it's, it's, a, it's a very worthwhile um, uh, uh, subject of study for, for the engineer, and there's knowledge about how you operate it. In particular, in particular, a knowledge of how you operate it in a quiet way. If you were down at the nuclear station, not far from here, then then you wouldn't really care about what sort of plant noise you make, but in the summer you do. There's knowledge of the system itself. Knowledge, for example, of which discretes will be important in terms of letting something, uh, letting knowledge out in the minds of the opposition. Uh, the actual procedures. How, how do you how do you act so as to stop the valves flapping? Operational knowledge, when is it important to be quiet, when is it not? And then the tactical knowledge of the people in the control. And you can associate those with different parts of the diagram. So you can, you can uh, associate the operation of the plant to the connection between getting the submarine moving quickly and making the plant noisy. It's not, it's not necessarily a, a linear connection. There are ways of of operating the plant so that it is not noisy. System knowledge uh, applies in the same way. The, the procedures to, avo to avoid this uh, banging about, uh, and other things, uh, is this connection here between the plant noise and the number of disputes that are created. And then lastly, the tactical knowledge, which is, uh, and this is operated, this is uh, deployed by the people in the control room, how do we act so that even if we have to move fast, we are not putting ourselves at risk. Things like moving up and down in the seawater so that you're hidden by, by, by opaque layers within the sea structure. Now, look, look, look at the different usages of knowledge. You know, the, the, this is you know, people in blue overalls actually operating a nuclear plant, whereas this is somebody in a, in a, in, in a, in a blue trousers and a nice, and a nice jumper who's sitting on the control room next to the next to the person. So, so to, for the first time, you can think about the, the usage of knowledge associated with a human being within the context of the system. And that's what's important to us. It's, that, it's the way that those three things are connected in terms of making this, in this instance, into an effective fighting machine. Curious, so what I've done, I kind of wanted to play because these diagrams are just complicated. I, I just, those of you who are hard of seeing can, uh, can have a look. This is a real life. Uh, this is a real life example of a study done by Cardiff Municipality. Cardiff, of course, being the the capital of, uh, of Wales. Uh, it has a traffic problem very similar to Cape Town, really, or, uh, similar, I suppose, to, to, to Johannesburg. And we sat down with the, the planning officers and we produced this diagram, this, there's two diagrams, and it expresses uh, a lot of stuff about the physicality of the road system and also the motivation of, of, of users. You have phrases like, um, uh, you know, the health of the citizens uh, uh, affecting absenteeism. Absenteeism affects the cost of labour. The, the, the cost of labour affects the, they call it efficiency, the attractiveness of the group. I mean, this is, this is deep into the contextualisation of the system. But, I mean, how cool is that? You can now actually look at the social impact of, of your traffic system rather than being constrained as a system engineer to the physicality of people moving around in their motor cars and obstacles and weapons. Here's another diagram you can look at the other side. Now, this is a different perspective. This is actually the individual user's motivation. So here, for example, the, the perceived journey duration by car will affect the, the tendency to switch from the car to public transport or what they call other modes away. Bicycles, foot running, scooters, gliders, whatever. 
Um, and by analysing in the same way that I did for the disputes in the submarine, you can pick out um, mechanisms which, if you can get them going, will drive the system one direction or another. That is, the system manager, you decide what it is you want from the, from the output of the system, and that might be, for example, a reduction in, in carbon dioxide emissions, or uh, an average, a reduction in the average during time, or indeed uh, uh, the average increase of happiness by citizens' pride. And this is what they found. Because they're knowledge solutions. They did instate bus lanes, but they also displayed the, the public transport and the car journey times. So it's really irritating. You're driving on the wrong road and it says you know, a destination, uh, you know, central bus station, 45 minutes. Journey by public transport at 21. <laughs> what a fool you look. <laughs> so they, they erected traffic routing boards, which is, if you think about it, is a, a true system engineering solution. It doesn't involve lane concrete, which sounds like thinnest. And, and it says, if you want to get to the central bus station, go that way. The railways. Uh, displaying a, a sort of an environmental motivation. This is then quite common. Altering the, the times of traffic lights so that you to read them. This is the one I love. So simple. You, you alter the traffic light timings to, to inconvenience. <laughs> <laughs> terrible. And I tell you, the city council got such a face to And they said, they actually said, we don't care. Because you, the citizens, have set a system specification which says that you want to reduce journey times. You didn't tell us that you wanted to reduce journey times by car. And then uh, something else here, the water tank is coordinated with that. And I think it's a really good example of, of a very quick system study. It took us about um, four half days of focus group work, together with a couple of days of analysis, a discussion with the planners, and they came up with this is. Probably six from probably twenty recommendations. Incredible change. So the summary is: people inhabit the systems, but they also inhibit them. And there are approaches which allow you to close that trombone off of, of systems, of humans, and knowledge. Because if you want something to do that. We'd better take a count of that. Thank you very much. I'll be very happy to take questions or, or not. Do you call them robots in the UK? No. No, it's my, it's my poor attempt to, 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 to make it easy for you. They call the traffic lights then. That they also call them all sorts of other names. It can't. curiosity, would they ever, with some means, create false noises to give the opposition a false impression of what's happening yeah. in the, the wrong location? Yeah, but, but they're called Pillendampfer. Sorry, they're called? Uh, I don't know where it comes from, obviously it's German, but, uh, but it comes from German usage in the Second World War, where they pop out a little pill. Uh, of, of, um, uh, of effervescent material, which would give the impression that you would uh, change your 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 uh, shaft rotation speed or something. Absolutely. I mean, it, it's the most fascinating uh, uh, mm -hmm. intelligence. Between, between deception and counter-deception. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> I mean, I could, I could I could talk to you for hours about the about the way in which uh, submarines. Uh, hunt one another. One well, actually, they're not hunting one another. They're hunting knowledge. Because you've got a, a Soviet submarine, Russian submarine, and Chinese submarine up in the far Arctic, and you would go out there and try to find what it was doing in order to understand what knowledge it was using. So it, it's one of the few examples of a of a knowledge battle. And then when I went to work on these big intelligence systems, because that was another area where the the the, the, the knowledge battle is um, is, is central. Um, yeah, it, it's a, it, it's a fascinating. Game. But primarily, the, the, the game is, is about staying slow, being in control of the knowledge environment so that you don't have to move fast.
and give away your position. It's a bit like they, they actually, um, there's a, a game that you can play at parties where you, you know, you're trying to find people in a, a darkened room uh, with, with just a tiny little pencil of a torch and it's a bit like that. Yes, sir. Okay. Okay, that's a very astute. That's a very astute question. <laughs> um, the um, well, there's, there's, there's lots of issues. Firstly, there's a designated issue. You, you, what do you do if you're only going to build without something to do with What do you do with the dockyards that you, that you build them? Well, one of the answers is they're not that different. So you can, you know, the sort of big physical infrastructure, you can, you can do other, other, other relationships on that side. But the, the more interesting question is what do you do with the skill base? Um, one of the one of the, the interesting um, facts about submarines is that one of, one of the most critical skills is a bunch of people who go into uh, a hull during build with, a, with bendy... You know, you know what I mean by a carpenter's rule? The, the, the wooden rule that opens up. They have a thing like this and they go in, but they can lock it. And what they're doing is they're, they're pulling the center of a, of a pipe out and they will then carefully take this back to the workshop and they will weld to that central specification, the center of the document, a one meter wide diameter stainless steel pump which just goes <coughs> and, 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 and training those people is, uh, is, is quite extraordinary. Uh, the, the answer to your question is that it is very, very difficult to maintain those kinds of specialised skills because they're not transferable. But there are very many of those, and, and frankly, you've just got to take the hint and, and just, you know, just, just give them work to keep them going. Other skills that you might think are special, like the skill of welding a stainless steel cap on top of a nuclear reactor with that amount of headroom when you cannot subsequently test the integrity of the weather. It takes exactly as long to train somebody to do that relevant job as to do another relevant job. Because it's not the basic, you don't learn any more skill, you either can do it or you can't do it. And you just like with electrical components. You don't build gold electrical components, you've got a whole million of them, and you just test them for, for low tolerances. Uh, uh, so that, that, that's part of it. Also, on an economic level, the country has to decide if it's part of the SDIB, the Strategic Defense Industrial Base. It's very difficult with submarines. It's a similar problem with electronic warfare and intelligence systems, but there's more transferability with that. Any other aspect you want to comment on? I mean, there are many, many aspects of the ground. Yeah, fascinating. Yes. It is, it, it is. It, it's a bit late when you've got your railway system laid out. I mean, it's not useless because if you're finding that you're getting um, uh, uh, state critical failures, then it can be diagnostic as well. And in fact, it is also used in risk analysis. <coughs> you specify a ready built system and, and ask, uh, you take the knowledge viewpoint of, of where will the knowledge not be when you need it. So, but, but yes, of course, you're right. It's the requirements and, and conceptual design. Uh, and the kind of systems that it is most useful for are mission critical, safety critical systems, which are which are uh, which are hybrid in the sense that. Okay.
so it's a psychologist asking the system's agent. Often we gain a lot of capacity, which puts the system that we're not taking into account. So we learn to cope with very different systems and we can generate passive knowledge. Would you say that if system engineers to be account of humans, it actually reduces the fear of passive knowledge for generating? So what's, what's the relationship between system and passive knowledge? Experience with, with um, air combat pilots, or, or uh, to be more precise, uh, ground attack pilots, um, it sh shows that what they do is they replace one body of tacit knowledge with another in order to re-optimize the system. And my evidence for that is uh, I was part of a, um, a five-company project to, um, to develop a thing called a tactical decision making. At the time, the, the uh, system problem was how do you, how do you uh, pilot a low-altitude aircraft through a given array of missile sites um, in order to get through the other end of the mountain probability? And that's a really tough thing to do because you've got all this stuff going on, you know, from the radar warning receivers and all that stuff. And it's really difficult to make that sense. So, of course, what you do is you, you, know, you, you, you raise it up the you turn it with data, information, information into, into large, you present a map with nice colours. And then you think it's easy. I know that the pilots seek work, they seek mental work, they want to be mentally busy. I don't know whether it's the stress of the, of the situation. But what they then do is they try to, in a sense, unthink the tactical decision making. I think the same thing, the same thing definitely applies with nuclear plant where the better your instrumentation, the more the operators seek to know what is, what, what is behind that instrumentation. I mean, I, I, you, you can tell me with authority, but I suspect that it's the human being looking for, um, for, for excitement in a stressful situation. Does that make any sense? Yeah? Yes, Sometimes you can you can actually find the user, and in the, I'll contrast the, uh, the aircraft design problem with the submarine and the intelligence system. But in the latter case, in the latter case, you've got quite a lot of experienced operators, and their expertise doesn't go out of date. Um, in other words, if you've been a submarine command officer, then uh, five years later you still pretty much know how you do. Maybe ten years later. Technology of change. So you actually got quite a lot of people uh, who've done the job, and you don't need persons in the circuit. Uh, when I designed the control system for a 
previous class of Sunday, we actually had focus groups of, of uh, everybody from cardiologists through to commanding officers who come and sort of uh, try to contemplate that. But the question is very interesting in, uh, in terms of aircraft. Because a military aircraft can take 13 to 15 years from initial conception to squad of service, and because the pilots are generally speaking only about 20 years old, at the time when you're making the design decisions, they're only five years old. Mm -hmm. it, it doesn't make a lot of sense to ask them. So what do you do? I mean, you've got to do the best that you can. You get the, the pilots who are in squad of service at the moment. You tell them about the design. You simulate the prototype. You put them into that, into that context. You give them that cognitive rehearsal. And then that, that's the best that you can do. What we found with, with consulting a user is that the user thinks in terms of legacy solutions which came about suboptimally based at to them. So he looks for this he looks for the legacy solution immediately without the I'll tell you something. When when we were in the early stages of design of uh, of Eurofighter the um the typhoon, I was I was in the systems analysis. Uh, what that means is um, Operational analysis looking at a persistent effectiveness of the group. I'm just trying to cover And uh, we did this wonderful piece of analysis about whether it was worthwhile having a cannon, a modern military aircraft, um, have a, a choice of weapons that had a medium range of missile, which is quite big and people need to, and then a series of short range weapons, and then usually have some sort of a gun. And we actually decided that. The weight, the weight of these things, and it actually tangibly affects the ability of the aircraft to survive in certain combat. So we did this beautiful analysis, and we showed that it made absolutely no sense to have a camera. So we go to the airports, and we make this presentation. It's very professional, and they all, and all the engineers sit there and say, "Yeah," and all the operators, as one man, say. We want a cannon. We want a cannon. We want a cannon. So my colleague says to them, okay, why do you need a cannon? So one of the squadron leaders says, because if we're flying along at low altitude and we see a Soviet missile, we want to be able to strafe it because it's a really important target. So my friend says, if it's that important, why don't you crash on I mean, that's a legacy to the The obvious system solution is, is, is to put in the detachment of that. So if you're in that sort of uh, situation. Yeah, of course you do, but, but, yeah, but it depends what you... Yeah, of course you want. It depends what, it depends what you want to use it for. If you literally want to use it to go and detect tap, then you have to judge rather than the fact from Turning combat is, is great or not. Life, as they say, is all about choices. <laughs> thank you very much. Uh, thank you.